morning, y'all. Thank you for coming. Of course, I know that it doesn't matter who speaks at the nest. Y'all are just so glad to be in this room with each other. I know how that works. I was asked to address the topic of standing out in a changing culture. And as I prayed about about it, Lord, what aspect of that do you want me to handle? Um, With growing conviction, I got the sense that God was saying, talk about what you best know, what you most know, what you have a passion for, particularly about bringing light and truth into an area of our culture that is dark and full of lies and deceptions. And so I would like to speak to you this morning about how do we think biblically about the whole LGBT, um, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender issue. Does God have an opinion on it? Does he care who we sleep with? As someone asked me one time, does God really, do you really think God cares who I sleep with? Yes, I do. Yeah, he's really spoken about that in his word quite a bit, actually. And more importantly, he cares what happens to your heart in the process. Where I'm coming from with addressing this topic is not a matter of having read books and blog articles or anything like that. We're talking about 15 years of my life having the privilege of serving in a leadership capacity with Living Hope Ministries, which is a Christ-centered ministry here in the Dallas area that helps people dealing with unwanted homosexuality, both men and women, and the family members of those who are gay-identified. There's a lot of pain in that area. And nothing has built my faith as much as having a literal front row seat to watching Jesus Christ change lives over these 15 years. That's where I was last night, um, listening to an amazing message from God's word and connecting it with um, people's temptations and trials and experiences, and then breaking up into small groups and listening to each woman in my small group talk about where she'd been in the past week, what the Lord was doing in her life, where her trials and her temptations are, where are the areas of, of success and victory where Jesus Christ is taking over. And again, I got to see that Jesus is all about transformation and change and turning people into the image of himself, but we all keep our individual flavors kind of like stained glass windows where the light comes through, but each window is different. So particularly with um, the Supreme Court hearing arguments this week on same-sex marriage and Bruce Jenner having been interviewed by Diane Sawyer last week on his no big surprise announcement that he's transgender, he broke the internet, um, with what blew up in the, in the midst of and after that, um, that disclosure, I, I have the privilege of kind of walking you through some perspective from God's word and um, biblically informed 
perspectives on what actually happens with people dealing with the LGBT issue. Um, Periodically, because I've written about this topic a lot, both for Living Hope and for Probe Ministries, which is the ministry that Ray and I have been with for 39 years. We help people think biblically about a range of topics. Sometimes, um, because I write a lot about homosexuality on the Probe website, probe.org, periodically I'll get emails from people going, you are an idiot, you are a bigot, you are a homophobe, and you have clearly never met a gay person in your entire life, or you would not write such tripe. And my response back to them does... um, Does that include the two lesbian women who have lived with me for over the last four years? The ones that I've never met and I wouldn't know a gay person if they walked up and slapped me in the face? Does that include people that I love and walk with on a daily basis? I never get, I never hear back from them about that, but (laughs) go figure. So at any rate, um, what does God say about this issue? We have to start with the Word of God and the heart of God and the character of God. And so I want to share with you some some scriptures. Um, Interesting, as we go into them, none of the scriptures that have anything to do with the LGBT issue focus on feelings at all. And let me just tell you, this is all about feelings. The whole LGBT spectrum and, and experience is all about feelings. It's very, very subjective. We have to start with God's created intent. In Genesis 1.27, God created man, humankind, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is so incredibly black and white. You're hearing people say, we do not live in a binary world. How dare you say there's just male and female? Well, I don't, but God does. He said when he created humankind, there's male and female. There is no other. There is no third gender. There's not four, five, six, or 47. Is it that the the number we're up to on Facebook that you can choose for your gender identity? God makes us male and female. Each one of you when you either gave birth or when you welcomed a child into your family through adoption, the very first thing that was said about that child was not, oh, look, a future policewoman. It was, it's a boy or it's a girl. It really is that simple. God votes on our gender by making us in the body that will bring us the most good, that bring the, the world and the church the most good, and will glorify him the most. It really is as simple as male and female. Secondly, Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. Not necessarily physical death, but the the death of so many other things. We can die spiritually and emotionally and relationally and financially, and there are so many ways to die. And so much of the LGBT issue is about what seems right. We are not in a position to know what is right based on our feelings because we live in a fallen world. In Genesis 3, sin entered the world. It crashed and burned 
everything. Nothing was left untouched by the fall, including our sense of self and how we think and how we process life. Our filters are all skewed and warped by sin and by the fall. And so just because something seems right to us or to somebody else doesn't make it right. As a matter of fact, in Judges, one of the things that we hear several times is that everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and it did not go well for them. When people were following what seemed right to them, it always ended in disaster, and the people of Israel always needed a rescuer and a deliverer because what seems right usually isn't. Because of the the impact of sin on our perceptions and our realities and our hearts. The word of God says in Jeremiah that the heart is desperately wicked and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So when people say, follow your heart, I'm going, no, 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 do not follow your heart. God says your heart is desperately wicked and not trustworthy. You cannot follow your heart. That's a terrible way to go. You got to follow what God says. By the way, <clears throat> as you can see by me bringing my scooter up to the stage and walking with a cane, limping with a cane over to sit down, I have not stood to teach in many, many years. Um, what you can see is that I am affected by the fall, by the fact that I was one of the last people in the United States to get polio before the vaccine was developed. I was paralyzed from the waist down on my left side and needed one of those long steel and leather braces that came all the way up to the top of my hip in order for me to stand or walk at all Um, from the time I was itty-bitty. I was six months old when I got polio. I have walked every step of my life with a limp. It's normal to me. It's what I know. It's all I know. It feels right to me. Now, I cannot video anything walking through a room because <laughs> the whole you know video would would go down into a hole every time I stepped on my left leg if you look at the way I walk you see that it's not right even though it feels right to me cuz it, it's my normal one of the things that I begged God so many times when I was growing up, please heal me. I hate having polio. I hate being different. I hate standing out. I hate not walking like normal people. I hate everything of it. I want you to take it away. Take it away. There's no good thing you could possibly do with this stupid polio thing. And God kept saying no. And he said no every time I begged and pleaded with him to heal me. Now that I'm an adult, and I've been walking, I've been limping for 15 years with people who have an emotional limp, I see one of the reasons why God allowed this into my life and why he refuses to take it away. Because I have on the outside a picture of what so many people experience on the inside. They have an emotional limp. They're relationally broken, sexually broken. Something's not right. Something went wrong somewhere in their past. They're wounded. They're limping. But the people that I'm living with and walking with and mentoring, they're limping with me toward Jesus. And he is in the process of changing all of our hearts to be like his. 
And now I'm grateful that I have instant credibility with people who walk with a limp in terms of their hearts. I just find it interesting that God chose to glorify himself that way. Um, One final thing I want to share with you about what God says is that in all cases from Genesis to Revelation, um, sexual ethics, what's right and wrong about sexuality is that all of sex is to be contained within the marriage bed consisting of one man, one woman in a committed covenant relationship for a lifetime. That's how God defines marriage. All sex belongs inside marriage, which means everything outside of that, not just homosexual sex, but premarital sex, extramarital sex, solo sex, everything that... All kinds of sex outside of the marriage bed are not what God intends for us. And so instead of pointing fingers going, oh, you terrible sinners, it's really important that we own how important it is to be sexually pure, all of us. That's one of the reasons why I strongly suggest that if you have a copy of Fifty Shades of Grey, burn it. Because that is not glorifying to God. And that is elevating all kinds of sexual brokenness and relational and emotional brokenness. That's another topic for another time. (laughs) Let's talk about gender, which is God's good creation. This is one of my very favorite things to talk about, particularly to moms of littles. Because this is something God showed me a number of years ago. Some of you have heard me talk about the gender spectrum. And I just can't talk about it enough because it is so empowering in terms of helping us be better moms. And as you relate it to your, relate to your husband, the one or more in the room, notwithstanding, you're hearing it first, you know, from the horse's mouth, bless you. Um, this may change a lot about how you relate to your children and how you can love them well. If I say gender spectrum to you, you probably think, as do most people, that of a single spectrum with masculinity on one end and femininity on the other. It's kind of like when I was presenting this in Mexico last month, I, was, I went over with my translator what I was going to talk about, and I said, gender spectrum, and she looks at me like, spectrum? I don't know what that is. We don't have a word in Spanish for that. And I said, interestingly enough, given the topic, rainbow. (laughs) The rainbow goes from red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet, right? Roy G. Biv. And nobody's going to say red is a better color than blue or green or purple. Nobody's going to do that. The rainbow is what it is. The spectrum, it's a range of colors it's a range of sexualities. That's how we think of a spectrum. I think it's not accurate. According to Genesis 127, where God makes us male and female, what I believe God showed me is that there is one spectrum for masculinity and a separate spectrum for femininity, and he chooses where on that spectrum a child will be born. Some of them take up more bandwidth than others, but most kids come into the world at some point 
on that spectrum. And I gave you, on your handouts, I gave you my two favorite slides when I do this talk. Let's talk about the masculinity spectrum. Um, On the one end are your rough and tumble boys, the ones who come out of the womb going, ball, ball, where is the ball? Anything roughly spherical needs to be a ball. And if we had the boys in here that are downstairs, and we let them in the, in the doors, they would take as long a path as possible to find you, zigzagging. They have so much testosterone in them, and, and they're going to be loud and boisterous and rambunctious. Let's get dirty. Let's climb trees. They tend to be emotionally insensitive. Clueless works with these boys. I love the pictures that I found for the masculinity spectrum. In case you can't tell, the boy on the top has a frog hanging out of his mouth. Yeah, some of you, that could be your son. It's like, yep, that's my boy. Um, the, one, the boys on the bottom are in their backyard, and they all have sticks, which are weapons of various kinds. Let me just tell you, as somebody who carries a cane for every step of my life, I am the source of great jealousy for some little boys. I get to carry my own weapon with me all the time. I mean, even kids who are barely verbal will come up to me going, stick, stick. (laughs) And it's really true that some boys seem to have a truck and gun gene. They come into the world going, okay, we need to roll and rumble and shoot things. So years ago, actually before I had my two sons, um, who are at different places on the masculinity spectrum, I read an article in Red Book magazine about a woman who hated guns, was not going to allow any weapons in her house whatsoever. No, we're going to play with dolls and cars, but no guns. Well, one morning she discovered that her son had eaten his piece of toast into the shape of a pistol. And he was using it like a gun. And and she said, you have to finish eating your toast. No guns at the table. So the next time they went through McDonald's, they got French fries. And he took the longest one in the thing. And it just started. (laughs) It was a machine gun, a potato machine gun. And she realized, you know, I didn't teach him to love guns. I tried to make him not love guns. And it just came out anyway. A lot of boys are just like that. But that's not all the type of boy there is. We think, oh, he's all boy. No, there are different types of masculinity. On the other end of the spectrum are the sensitive and creative boys. And the more I talk about this, you are going to identify your children, your your boys, some of you. These, These boys come out of the womb going, can I talk to you? Can I just sit down and be eyeball to eyeball to you? Other boys are going to want to bond shoulder to shoulder and be facing in the same direction. Not me. I want to be face to face with you. And they're creative. They're artistic. They can be musical. Um, They're emotionally sensitive like crazy. My husband, Ray, is a lead teacher in Orange 2. So he's got kids that start out as one and they turn two within a couple months after coming into his room. And they, they learn to talk while, he's, while they're in Orange 2 with Mr. Ray. And it's so funny because I've been talking about the masculinity spectrum for years. And he said, 
I can identify the kids in orange too who are the emotionally sensitive ones because somebody will start to cry, which happens every Sunday. Hello. All you, as soon as they learn the word mine, <laughs> mine, and then the first one starts crying. And so these little emotionally sensitive boys go over and they drop whatever they're doing and they start patting him on the back. You okay? You okay? Stop crying. It's okay. And they're so nurturing and they're sensitive and they're precious and, and they're just so amazing that way. You didn't teach them to do that. They came out of the womb that way. They are gifted by God to be emotionally sensitive. They're constantly, there's, they're scanning the room to see what's going on. And like girls, although this doesn't mean they're girly, it doesn't mean they're effeminate. It means they're gifted in a different way. They're constantly taking in body language, tone of voice, timber of voice. They're, the same thing that we just, as girls, we just automatically do that. It's just part of our DNA. But these little boys are just constantly paying attention what's going on. And so they're very, very sensitive. Let me just say that if you have a sensitive son, understand it doesn't mean he's girly. It means he's a sensitive son. It means he's part of God's gifted and talented program. Please push him to dad. He really needs to connect with his dad. Don't build up the mom-son connection. You're already going to have that. You, you know, moms, you have laid the foundation of your child's life because you were the one who is God to these children in the first four years of their lives. Nothing will ever undo that. You are incredibly important for the emotional foundation of a child. But once they turn around four, start pushing them to dad because every little boy needs to connect with his daddy in order to be emotionally healthy. And encourage your dad to get eyeball to eyeball with your son. This is going to be uncomfortable for a lot of men who, as I said, prefer to bond shoulder to shoulder and not be face to face. But these little boys need dad to be eyeball to eyeball with them. Enter his world. Whatever is important to him, dad needs to be there and be his number one supporter. And, And this is going to sound weird, but as he gets older, date He needs to date his son the way that he would a daughter, but this is not a girl thing. This is an emotionally sensitive type of boy thing. When these boys are supported in their masculinity, they end up being the most amazing husbands and fathers and teachers and counselors, mentors, music ministers, shepherds, amazing Um, relational skills. We want to support the type of masculinity that God chose for them. Often what happens when you have a sensitive son, and it's often that dad is one of these rough and tumble guys. It's like dad speaks Chinese and son speaks Spanish. And the two of them are talking past each other and they're not connecting. At Living Hope, our executive director, who is one of these sensitive men, tells dads, You enter his world, and you're the grown-up. You learn his language. If he speaks Chinese and you speak Spanish, learn Chinese. You're the one who has more power to do that, but enter his world and connect with him that way. And also, if your son is one of these artistic, creative ones, don't freak. If he likes, quote-unquote, girly colors like pink and purple and sparkly things, 
There is no such thing as girl colors, okay? When God created color, he did not tag some of them masculine and some of them feminine. Did you know that in Africa, pink is considered the consummate masculine color? It's completely cultural. And so if you pay any attention to sunrises and sunsets, you see that God is especially fond of pink and purple. So don't freak out if your son likes pink and purple. It doesn't mean he's gay. It means he likes those colors. That's all it means. And in many cases, it means that he thinks that the what is often considered the quintessential masculine colors of dark blue and dark brown and tan and beige are boring. He likes brighter colors. Support that. That's great. There is nothing um, moral or immoral about colors. And it don't freak out. Just let him enjoy that. This is the kind of boy that you are. Um, let's look at the femininities. Oh, I need to go to the other end. Um, on these sensitive, creative boys, look at the pictures. The, the boy on the top clearly has his sister's skirt on. And he probably is one of the boys who will put it on and then twirl around so he can see it flare out and see the patterns that it causes. That is not about being a girl. It's not about being gay. What it is, is somebody with a taste for color and design and movement. And he's probably very gifted in the art area. Some of these kids have amazing sensitivities. I have a friend that took her child for shoes when he was literally 18 months old. He's preverbal, right? 18 months old, she takes him into the shoe store, and they bring out a stack of shoes. And when they, each shoe box that they opened, he would grab it and smell it. And if, if it was man-made, he'd throw it aside and open up the next box. When they got to the leather shoes... He held it out to his mom. This is what I want. The real thing. 18 months old, he knew this. He grew up to be an amazing doctor with exquisite taste. When he became old enough to buy his own furniture, he's like, ain't no way I'm going to Ikea. I am saving my money, and I'm going to buy real antiques. He's got amazing taste, very high-level taste. She didn't teach him that, I promise you. You don't teach a kid to disdain the smell of man-made shoes. You know? Um, The other picture on the sensitive and creative end of the masculinity spectrum are these boys at the ballet bar. Um, And so many kids get given no end of grief for being dance students, right? Ballet, tap, whatever. It's like, what kind of homo-queer kid are you? No, it's, it's not like that. It takes an athlete to be a dancer, especially a ballet dancer. Male ballet dancers have to pick up ballerinas and walk around with them and put them on their shoulders. I, I think that they're every bit the strong athlete is a linebacker. But it's our culture that says, oh, this is girly and homo and queer, as opposed to, oh, football is all about manly men. They're both amazingly gifted athletes to be able to succeed at that. We need to set people straight on, you know, there's something wrong with ballet dancers. Ray and I um, have been able to go to Belarus in the former Soviet Union. I went with him the last six years, and I, I finally got a chance to see a Russian ballet from the first row. 
oh my goodness, that's where they set the bar, so to speak, um, for all other ballet. And I was beyond blown away by the power of the dancing that I got to see the best in the whole world. And I'm thinking, there ain't nothing sissy about (laughs) these men who are in incredible physical condition and have to be so strong. We need to support the kind of masculine that these boys are. Let's talk about the femininity spectrum. You are somewhere on this spectrum. Um, on the one end are the girly girls. They come into the womb, uh, came, come out of the womb, into the delivery room going, I want a pink receiving blanket. I want the little band around my little bald head with the flower on it that says I'm a girl. And I can't wait for my fingernails to grow big enough nails so mommy can put fingernail polish on me. And I think of this one little girl that at Christmas when she was four, Mommy put her in a burgundy velvet dress and white tights. And she said, I am beautiful. And she would twirl around. And, of course, Daddy would tell her, you are beautiful, which every little girl needs to hear. Please tell your husbands. Every little girl needs to hear she's beautiful. Pretty, not the same. Looking good, not the same. She needs to hear she's beautiful. So this Daddy told her, oh, you're beautiful. And she felt beautiful in that velvet dress with the white tights at Christmas, which was great. But then it became spring, and then it became summer, and it's August. And she goes, Mommy, I want to wear my Christmas beautiful dress. She goes, Baby, you are, that's velvet. It's 114 degrees outside. She said, Yes, and my tights. I feel beautiful in that dress. Yeah, she's on that end of the spectrum. On the other end of the spectrum are the, um, the tomboy jockettes. They come into the world going, where's the ball? And where's the boys so I can show them how it's really done? <laughs> and where's a tree that I can climb? And how soon before I can throw a perfect spiral? And these girls are often gifted athletes. They have no patience whatsoever for the typical girly girl stuff. They're allergic to dresses and skirts. Um, They just really feel uncomfortable in it. When these girls are supported in the type of feminine that God chooses for them to be, um, what that looks like is sometimes you need to wear a dress, but then you can come home and get in back in your jeans or your sweats and put your baseball cap on backwards. That's fine. No grown-up ever has to wear their uncomfortable grown-up clothes all the time. They get to come home and, and put their play clothes on. And you can too, but you need to be able to wear a dress without it freaking you out. I had a conver- I've had multiple conversations with women who are definitely on the tomboy end of the femininity spectrum, but do not struggle with gender identity at all. And I've asked them, what happened in your home growing up? What did your parents do? How did they treat you? And all of them said the exact same thing. My parents supported the type of feminine, the type of girl that God made me to be, but they also taught me how to act like a lady because there are times when you need to act like a lady. And I, I'm, I'm just, it was so simple. It just makes sense. As opposed to a little girl that I know of who decided she hated all things girly and um, she only wanted to wear boy clothes 
And when she, she was in a preschool where one of the teachers was getting married, and so the teacher decided she wanted all of the children in formal clothes to stand up in her wedding. And this little girl refused to wear a dress, insisted that her parents get her a boy's tuxedo-like outfit. And the parents capitulated because, you know, heaven forbid my daughter should be unhappy with me because, you know, I want to be the cool mom and the cool dad. And the message that they were giving her is, you get to, you're four years old and you get to be in control of your life. We will do whatever you want. That is a disaster, a recipe for disaster. So um, the, the girls who are on the tomboy end of the femininity spectrum often end up being great leaders, just natural leaders. The, one of the best things I ever heard was said to Nika Spaulding, who is on staff here at Watermark, one of my favorite people in the history of the kingdom of Jesus. Um, and she's on, from this end of the spectrum. You know, she's very athletic. I mean, you can look at her and, and just tell by looking at her. She's from this end of the spectrum. And she has so many gifts and strengths. And when she graduated from seminary, someone gave her a hand-drawn um, picture of Aslan, the lion from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, in the Chronicles of Narnia, and wrote her a note that said, Nika, you're a lion, you're not afraid of anything, and people just want to follow you. And I thought, that sums up the girl on this end of the femininity spectrum. Tremendous leader. And... When we support this type of femininity and just say it's, it's a legitimate type of femininity, you do not have to be a foo-foo feminine girl to be a girl. Now, here's what happens with, um, with both the masculinity spectrum and the femininity spectrum. There are far fewer girls and boys on the, the second end. With boys, it's maybe 5 to 10%. Um, girls, I don't know how many, but probably more. But because of the way our culture does things, often the girly girls look down on the tomboys and go, there's something wrong with you. You're not a good girl like us. You're not like us. And the, the rough-and-tumble athletic type of boys look down on the sensitive and creative and artistic aesthetic boys, and they go, something wrong with you. And they don't even have to come right out and say it. It just it can come out in their tone of voice and their body language and how they choose to ostracize and marginalize people like that. What happens is that the ones who are not the classical masculine or the classical feminine, what we're really we're thinking about stereotypical, they feel different from an early age. They feel other than. I'm not like the other girls. I'm not like the other boys. You will hear from many, many people in our culture, you know what, I've always been gay. I've just, and mothers will even say, oh, I knew he was gay when he was two years old. How do you identify a, a two-year-old boy who's sexually attracted to women? And no, it doesn't work like that. What is really happening is that as long as they can remember, they have felt other than. They have felt separate from. And there's a shamefulness to that. It doesn't need to be that way, but in our broken world, that's what it feels like. That's what's going on. It's not that children are born gay, and they may well feel very different from an early age. That is exactly what they experience. The interpretation is wrong.
They are not born gay. That is the essence of people going, that's who I am. I'm a gay male. I'm a gay female. God's not going to sign off on that because his word, I, that when I offered you what does God say, I didn't give you any of the scriptures that definitely say that all same-sex sexuality, all, all, no, let me back that up. All same-sex sexual behavior is sin. Not saying anything about the feelings. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But um, homosexuality is not God's plan. It is always sin to act on those feelings. God's not going to sign off and go, yep, you're gay. I made you that way. What he did do was make a broader range of femininity and masculinity than what we often buy into, what we, what we often understand. And they're different. They feel different. Different doesn't mean gay. But in our culture, they're defining it that way. Just understand when people say, I've always been gay, or that person's always been gay or lesbian, what they're really saying is, I've always felt disconnected, I'm not a part of, different from, other than. So what is the big picture about LGBT? Um, First of all, you would think from the amount of talk in our culture that it's at least 25% of the population. It's two, two percent. And the number of people, I'm going to talk about same-sex marriage in a minute, but the number of people wanting to get married is not millions and millions. It's a, almost like a handful compared to the population of the United States. The numbers are far smaller than you would think. Um, And one of the messages we get in our culture is, how dare you judge GLBT people? Is anything other than an extremely normal variation in human sexuality? How dare you say there's anything wrong with it? But one of the most exhaustive studies done about the effect of homosexual orientation, this is done by Harvard Medical School. It was published in the American Journal of Public Health. This is the big league What they discovered is that homosexual orientation is associated with a general elevation of risk for anxiety, mood, substance abuse disorders, for suicidal thoughts and plans. People could say, well, yeah, that was just that one study. Well, they've done studies around the world. Even in the Netherlands, which is as pro-gay on the planet as you can get, what they've discovered is that Depression and substance abuse are 20 to 30% more prevalent in the homosexual community. If it were just a normal variant of human sexuality, we would not see pathologies of people whose hearts are breaking. It's not a normal variation, ladies. It just isn't. This is not what God intended for people. But he's got a better plan. He's got a healing plan. One of the things that they've also discovered is that with teens who identify as same-sex attracted, they have suicidal thoughts and attempts that are triple the rate of other teens. And so what you're going to hear is the reason for that is that our culture is so homophobic and not accepting that if they were just in a place where um, gay teens were accepted and celebrated that gay is good, they would be fine. 
That's not the way it works. My son lives in San Francisco, which is arguably um, the most gay-friendly place in the country. The, the suicide and, and, and suicidal feeling rate of San Francisco is just as high as other places, it's, even though it's very gay-friendly, because it's not society's lack of approval. It's something broken inside. So where does homosexuality come from? Um, there, although you will hear people say, look, it's genetic. We know it's genetic. The studies have been done. Science has proved it. First of all, you need to know there's nothing that proves that it's genetic. And secondly, there have been plenty of studies that, with a lot of evidence that there are environmental factors from the family and the culture, um, things like broken families, absent fathers, even older mothers, Living in, and growing up in, a, in an urban culture has an effect on those who later identify as gay. And then there's childhood sexual abuse, which is not only rampant, but growing because of the brokenness of our culture. There are People are shaped to come away with um, an LGBT identity. But you hear, I mean, if I were to ask you, how many of you have heard people are born gay? I'm pretty sure that every hand in this room would go up because that is the lie of our culture. Let me give you one silver bullet evidence that people are not born gay. Every single identical twin study has, that has ever been done reveals that in identical twins, and now this is people who have the same exact DNA, right? One egg is fertilized becomes in, breaks into two cells, each of those cells becomes a separate baby. They have the exact same DNA. If homosexuality were genetic and were prescribed by the DNA, you would never have the situation where if one identical twin identifies as gay, the other one identifies as gay only 11% of the time. It would be a 100% correlation if it were genetic. The twin study proves that it's not so where does it come from? In a nutshell, it really is, for the most part, for most people, there are other wild cards at play, but for the most people, and this comes from literally thousands of conversations and intake interviews at Living Hope Ministries over the 25 years we've been in operation. Here's the plan. God's plan is, first of all, a baby is born and makes this connection, laying the foundation with mom. Mom just nurtures and loves and responds to that child. He cries, she cries. Mom picks him up and loves on him and just pours into this child. You matter. You exist. I'm so glad you're here. Even crackhead moms usually don't mess up at that. I mean, uh, but that is the foundation. Moms, there, there are no words for how important you are in the life of your child. They're just, it is beyond description how important the foundation of your love for your child is. So the first stage is mom loves me and she affirms me and she pours the three A's into me. Attention, affection, and affirmation. And she just loves on me. Attention, she pays attention. When I cry, she comes and takes care of me. Affection, she loves, loves me and hugs me and kisses me and tells me she loves me. And she, uh, affirmation, she's telling me that she's glad that she's my mommy. 
And she's glad that God gave this you to me and, and I'm constantly getting poured into. First stage, mom. Second developmental stage is dad. Right around age four, people start, maybe a little earlier in some, but kids start realizing there's this other guy in the house. Not like mommy. As a matter of fact, there used to be on um, ABC TV, there used to be a TV show called the, S- the Sinclairs. It was about dinosaurs. And, and the little the babies, baby dinosaur had two parents. There was mama and there was not the mama. <laughs> that, was, that was his name for daddy, was not the mama. <laughs> so first there's this connection with mom and then there's connection with dad. And little boys especially need to realize... I'm more like daddy than mommy. My body is shaped more like his than mommy. And I, daddy stands up to pee. Boys stand up to pee. That kind of thing. And, and boys need to realize I'm not part of mommy's body and soul. I'm more like daddy and I need to connect with daddy. And those little boys need to get the three A's from dad. They need dad to pay attention to them and just watch them. How many times have you heard your kids say, daddy, watch this. How many of times have you heard, mommy watched this, but you were too busy talking to somebody else because we're so relational, um, but kids need us to just simply watch them. Did you know that the dishes will wait while you watch your kids? I wish somebody had told me that when my kids were little, because now I can't watch them anymore. They're too big. They, they move around. Um, my children are now 35 and 33. Okay, so first, uh, there's, there's the three A's from dad. Attention. Affection, they need physical affection. They need um, verbal affection. They need to hear, I love you. They need hugs and kisses. There is no statute of limitations for dad to go, okay, enough, you're old enough. No more hugs and kisses from dad. Let me just tell you that in the 15 years I've been at Living Hope, what we hear over and over again from the men is, you know, it's not so much about the sex that I want, But the sex is a way to be held by a man. I just want to be held by a man. It's amazing how many times we hear that. I hear it from the women. I don't care about the sex. I just want to be held by a woman. You know, that a a hurtful relationship with the same-sex parent is huge in those who later identify as gay or lesbian. Um, So first mom, then dad. Then the third stage of development is we need to connect with our same-sex peers. That's what you see happening in elementary school. You know, your BFFs and um, kids who are doing sleepovers and they're together all the time and they're wearing the same clothes, each other's clothes, and they're just with each other constantly. Boys with boys, girls with girls. And they need those three A's as well, attention, affection, and affirmation. And if they don't get it, there's this hole in their heart. And... If you have a hole in your heart from not getting those three A's met from mom or dad or a same-sex peer, this hole just is there, and it's gnawing, and it's aching. And when you take those unmet needs and you combine them with the sex hormones at puberty, they, those unmet needs, which are totally leg- legitimate and God-given, get sexualized. And that's what ends up with someone identifying as gay or lesbian. But there's four stages. Mom, dad, same-sex peers, finally opposite-sex peers. We don't connect with people of the opposite sex, so we've learned how to connect with people like us. 
Because boys and girls are way different. Men and women are way different. And we can't connect in intimate, meaningful ways with people way different from us until we've learned how to connect and attach to people who are like us. It really is a developmental thing um, most of the time. And when unmet needs are sexualized at puberty, you can easily end up with, um, with same-sex attraction. The question comes up, especially in a church like this, is it a sin to be gay? Well, first of all, you need to know that gay is an invented term. It's pretty recent. God doesn't sign off on it because he doesn't make anybody gay. But having, being attracted to the same sex, that constitutes temptation. It's not a sin to be tempted. Jesus, the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus was tempted in all ways, even as we are, yet was without sin. And so being drawn to people of the same sex in romantic or erotic ways constitutes temptation. And it's not a sin to be tempted. It is something to be dealt with. It is a thorn in the flesh, particularly for those that it just it, it, it starts consuming them. In the same way, my polio is my thorn in the flesh. I will have it until I meet Jesus one way or the other. My, my vote is that he comes back before I'm finished today. But I may die first, you know. And at that point, polio will be completely off the table because I will have a brand new body and soul. And, um, well, at least a new body. And that is my thorn in the flesh. God has said, no, I'm not going to take that away. I'm going to glorify myself through it. And for some people... Same-sex attraction is their thorn in the flesh. And God says, I am more glorified by you walking in humility and purity and chastity with that thorn in the flesh than if I were to take it away. He doesn't always, but as I'm going to tell you in a minute, sometimes he does. Um, Homosexuality is not chosen. It is discovered. And usually people are horrified to discover my heart is pulled toward people of the same sex when my peers are being drawn toward people of the opposite sex. What is wrong with me? Those feelings are not chosen, but behavior always is. When we choose to act or not act on our feelings, behavior is always chosen, but feelings are not. So homosexuality is part of living in a fallen world. It falls short of the glory of God. It is not God's intention for people. But nobody ever chooses to be attracted to people of the same sex. That's something that they discover. And there are some good reasons for it. But the more important thing than why is it there is what are you going to do about it and how are you going to trust God in it? Now, you may have heard in the culture that Nobody can change their sexuality. It's immutable. It's unchangeable. It's like eye color. You may as well, to to ask people to change their sexuality is like asking blue-eyed people to become brown-eyed. And that's apples and oranges. Homosexuality, how we feel toward others, is all about feelings. It is not about something like eye color. But you will hear the lie over and over again that orientation cannot be changed. And if you try to change it, That's harmful, and that's why a number of states have outlawed conversion therapy or reparative therapy, um, because they think that it's harmful to people. So here's the interesting thing. You've got a child who is sexually abused as a child, and and it, it it warped them, and it 
wounded them, and as a result, they're drawn to people of the same sex. For example, a little girl who was repeatedly raped by her uncle or her father, um, which happens all the time, and she comes away with this idea that men are neither safe nor good, and I don't want to have anything to do with men. And I'm going to take men completely off the table and out of the equation. The only place where I can be drawn to is women. And so she, she draws herself to women, and she finds herself saying, all I'm attracted to is women. And it started with childhood sexual abuse. And if she goes, you know what, this is not God's plan for me. I want to be married. I want to have children. But my heart just keeps gravitating like, like the wobbly wheel on a grocery cart. It keeps gravitating toward women. I want to deal with these feelings that I have that I don't want. And there are people saying, no, you may not go get therapy for that because you should celebrate your lesbianism. There's nothing wrong with it. How dare you say that there's nothing that you don't want it? That's crazy. That's like someone saying, Alcohol has wrecked my life. I want to go to Alcoholics Anonymous and get support in living in sobriety so it doesn't ruin my life anymore. And people going, no, how dare you say that alcohol is not your friend? It just drives me crazy when, when, the, when people get involved and want to legalize um, bans on that which will help someone deal with the pain in their heart. Um, can people change their sexuality? It happens all the time. It started long before the New Testament was written. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians to the church at Corinth. He lists a bunch of sins that people used to be engaged in, including homosexuality. And he says, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. You're a whole new creature now. There were Former homosexuals in the church at Corinth. People change all the time. But a few years ago, when Alan Chambers, who was the president of Exodus International, which was the umbrella organization over a number of ministries, the one that I'm associated with was one of them, when he was on um, TV with Lisa Ling, he said, 99.9% of people I met through Exodus Ministries had not experienced a change in orientation. Interestingly, he was one of them because he's now married, has two kids. But he says, oh, no, 99.9% of the people don't experience a change in orientation. We heard that and went, what are you thinking? I know Alan personally. Alan, what are you thinking? We can give you names and faces of people who have come through Exodus-affiliated ministries who will say, I am no longer a gay man. I am no longer a lesbian. I've personally been the world's oldest bridesmaid at a wedding of a guy who came through our ministry, married a friend of mine. That was 14 years ago. Um, we celebrate their, their little girl who's now 12, not so little. And he is still walking in integrity and in sexual purity and chastity and is very much attracted to his wife. And, and yet, because Alan said this, and I think, honestly, I think he was just pulling that figure out of his butt. I'm, you're, I'm just thinking. Um, it's not true. There are so many people. We've got studies done by people who weren't even expecting to find any evidence of change, such as Dr. Robert Spitzer of Columbia University. He was not expecting there to be actual orientation shift in people, and he did this 
this statistically rigorous study and said, holy smokes, I was wrong. People do change. And then when, when he published his results, he got crucified by the LGBT community because it's not what they wanted to hear. Um, other studies um, by Stanton Jones and Mark Yahaus, they wrote a book about it. They huge study. 23% of the people that they interviewed said, I now identify with heterosexual feelings and, and orientation. 30% of the people are now living chastely, not identifying as homosexual, just, just worshiping the Lord, serving him with their lives, going, this is not who I am. I'm not a gay person anymore. I am a beloved child of the king, and I'm going to glorify God with the life that I have. None of them said they'd been harmed by the efforts to change because... Jesus Christ changes lives, and he changes everything, including sexuality. So, I mean, just at Living Hope, the ministry that I've been with, we were just hearing last night about there are so many people who aren't here anymore, and the reason is they're not dealing with homosexuality anymore. They're off raising their families or serving as elders and deacons in the church as holy single people. This is... This is there may be some residual temptations, but it's more like a mosquito in the room rather than a blaring band right in front of you. Change really does happen. Let's talk about same-sex marriage. Um, because, boy, it is on, it's in the paper, it's everywhere on the Internet, it's on TV. Not God's plan. Not ever. Never will be. Male and female united in marriage does several things. First of all, the complementarity of male and female, both body and soul, is only displayed through a husband and wife. Um, There's a spiritual dimension to marriage between a man and a woman that is only displayed through a man and a woman. A male and female united in marriage expresses the mystery of the life and love of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Spirit loving each other, supporting each other. Three different persons, one God. In the same way that husband and wife are different persons, one flesh union. There is a physical, earthbound illustration to this amazing spiritual truth. The marriage between a man and a woman is the primary metaphor that reveals this dance between God and man. In the Old Testament, it was Yahweh and Israel, Yahweh being the husband, Israel being the wife. In the New Testament, it's Christ being the groom, the church being the bride. From the beginning to the end, marriage illustrates the union of God and man. The purpose of marriage, apart from this spiritual dimension, is to support the, the intentional weaknesses of male and female. We need each other. But it's also about producing and protecting children. Families are the building blocks of culture and society. And by nature, same-sex relationships are sterile. They will never be fruitful and multiply because you can't ever get babies out of two men or two women. Same-sex marriage is not really about marriage. It's about forcing society's approval. It's about forcing rights that can be achieved in other ways, such as, well, I I want my partner to get all of my um, 
my stuff if I die. Well, that's what we have wills for. Well, I want my partner to be able to be in the hospital and make end-of-life decisions for me. That's what we have legal documents about end-of-life issues. Um, It's always about the adults. It's never about children. Same-sex marriage is about feelings. It's about entitled to, you know, to seek society's approval. It is never about the children. There is a slippery slope there that is valid. Recently, we saw in the news that a thruple, I can't remember what country it was in. It may have been New Zealand or Australia. A thruple has decided to get married. I think it's one woman and two men. The thing is, if we're, if we're going to open marriage beyond just one man and one woman, then why would you limit it to the number, the gender, age range, or family connection? Why can't a father marry his daughter? Why can't a brother marry his sister? Who are you to say that my love is not just as good as anybody else's? Who are you, you narrow-minded person? I, everything is off the table. If, if we open up to this area. Is it a civil rights issue? Civil rights is about immutability. Skin color cannot be changed, with the exception of Michael Jackson. But um, it's apples and oranges, because sexual orientation can be changed, and a lot of people can tell you that. It's not the same thing. There are a lot of people in the church who are very pro-gay, wanting to be on the, quote, the right side of history, because... And then there may be a lot of you in this room. You know, I'm always rooting for the underdog and the, the LGBT community or the underdogs. But if God has said something is wrong, it's not our place to declare it as right. Just, I want to close in the next couple minutes, because that's what I have, just to talk about transgender and Bruce Jenner. Um, I got an email two days ago from a friend of mine asking if I was going to blog about Bruce She said, I was talking to my sister who saw the whole interview, and she and her husband, who are born-again believers, finished that interview and looked at each other and said, well, I guess God really does create people like this. My brother-in-law said, if God can create someone to be born without an arm or a leg, I guess he can create people who are born a girl in a man's body. She said, please talk about this. Um, those are not appropriate responses to what Bruce said, which is, I have always felt like a, a mismatch between my body and my soul. I have always felt that God gave me the soul of a woman. I'm suggesting God did not give Bruce Jenner the soul of a woman. He gave him the amazing body of a man, and he also gave him the emotionally sensitive, creative, artistic end of the masculinity spectrum. There is nothing wrong with being... Um, a tender-hearted, emotionally sensitive, sensitive man who is um, who feels things deeply, more like a woman than a rough and tumble guy. But it is still a type of masculinity. He said he on the interview with Diane Sawyer. He said, "God gave me the soul of a woman, and I've spent my whole life acting and dressing like a man, and I've had it. I don't want to do that anymore." My suggestion to him is that he does not have the soul of a woman. He has the soul of an emotionally sensitive man. Interestingly, that about 150 years ago, at the Battle of Gettysburg, 
General Joshua Chamberlain, who was like such an incredible man's man, but then finished this battle and went around blessing the soldiers who had died in battle and ministering to those who were wounded. A general from the other side came to him and said, General, you have the heart of a lion and the soul of a woman. And Joshua Chamberlain said, I took that as an incredible compliment and gave it back to him. In a previous generation, it wasn't any problem for a man to say, oh, you have a tender heart. Things have changed, not for the the best. Um, Bruce also said, I couldn't take the walls constantly closing in on me. If I die, I'd be so mad at myself that I didn't explore that side of me. And that's why at age 65, he wants to go forward with becoming a woman. Um, He will never be a woman. He is genetically a man. He has fathered seven children. He will never be a woman. He can mutilate his body. He can take chemicals that mutilate him chemically, but he will never become a woman. And he is looking at the temporal perspective rather than the eternal perspective. What are you, where are you going to be um, five, uh, 100 years from now when you're before the Lord? Um, this is an issue. Transgender, as I land this plane... Um, This is an issue that is all about the emperor's new clothes. This whole idea that um, we can be anything we want to be and we can pretend and we can get society to to cooperate with us in the pretending. But at the end of the story, the emperor's new clothes, a a little kid said, Hey, the emperor doesn't have any clothes on. And he spoke the truth. And that's what will get us in trouble is by speaking the truth. God makes us male and female. He votes on our gender. He knows what is best. And we need to go along with what God has ordained and was pleased to make us, male and female, in his image, to his glory. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sue. Forgot to tell you, I've got several um, magazines with people's stories a lot of people don't know that people change. I've got magazines up here from Living Hope. Come and take one if you'd like. Thank you. There you go. Thanks so much. Hey, you guys, we're going to have a little bit of discussion at your table. She gave you all plenty to talk about. And there's a couple questions up on the screen if you can't think of anything to discuss. And then we're going to make sure and have some question time with Sue at the end. I've got lots of text and questions from you all, so thanks. I hope y'all had good table time. We have so many good questions. So we're going to get to cranking so that Sue can share all of her good wisdom with you. We're going to try to bust through some of these questions. And I texted one sweet little person back in this room. So if you send a texting question, you may want to check your phone because I have a question. Um, I have a question. Okay. The question up there, where are you on the femininity spectrum? Okay. How many of you are girly girls? Okay, how many of you are tomboys? And how many of you take up more bandwidth in somewhere in the middle? All right, see? There we go. (laughs) Yeah. So I think, is that to answer the person that asked? No, actually, I want to go further than that. I'm sorry? Okay. Um, I forgot to say something really important about the gender spectrum that. People are not necessarily at a point on it. Some people are born taking up more bandwidth to begin with. 
And the more emotionally and particularly spiritually mature you are, the more bandwidth you start taking up. Because, you know, a, a, a girl, especially on either end, is going to encompass more of what it means to be a, a, the fullness of what femininity is like. And so it is not surprising that some of you started at one place and you started taking up more bandwidth. That's what growth looks like. I love to, particularly with the masculinity spectrum, I love to think, you know, where, was, where would you put Jesus on that spectrum? I think he's the whole thing. He was a man's man. I mean, men just flocked to him. Big, strong, you know, he was a carpenter, you know, big, strong, burly guy. And yet, was he creative and sensitive and artistic? What was Jesus doing before he became a human being? He was the creator of the universe. So, yes, he invented stars and planets and sunsets and beautiful things. Okay, so Jesus was the whole thing. And what I have discovered is that as men, be, boys become men and become more spiritually sensitive, excuse me, more spiritually mature, they become more like Christ, they start taking up more bandwidth, which is really a cool thing to watch happen. That's awesome. Okay, some of these women in this room want to know how do we answer our kids when they say, hey, that, that friend has two mommies or that boy has two daddies. Okay, keyword, confused. Um, you can explain that there are a lot of people who are confused about how God meant for them to be. Um, and I, I'm going to just tell you up front, um, people in the LGBT community will take offense to that, but it doesn't make it not true. So um, if you're not sure who you are or what God intended for you, it's going to result in confusion. But whether you're talking about somebody with two mommies, two daddies, or someone who um, is believes that their brain and their bodies are a mismatch, transgender, there's, it's all confusion is what um, def, describes all of, all of that. Mm-hmm. And how... A lot of people were saying we're supposed to talk to our kids earlier about sex than normal. When, when does this topic need to be addressed and come up? Just listen. It'll come up from them. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't, don't go in, in, down that road until they're ready to hear it. And you'll, they'll ask questions or make comments. So all you have to do is pay attention. Mm-hmm. I was telling Sue that the other day at our kitchen table... Allie told the boys, well, you can't marry a guy. You have to marry a girl. And that was a perfect opportunity for me to go, no, you don't have to, because a lot of people in this day and age don't choose to, but that isn't what is God's best for our life. That isn't the way God designed it to be. And then we just got to have this whole conversation. (laughs) And Allie and Caleb were like, (laughs) (laughs) the other two, it was lost on. And they were like, huh, but... Now they heard it from me and not from somebody at school. So I was grateful for that opportunity, (laughs) that conversation. Um, Another question is that a lot of people feel like homosexual tendencies um, can be, um, that kids can emotionally connect with like a gymnastics teacher or a theater coach that may be homosexual. And then our sensitive boys are more prone to be drawn to that to that person and to that way of life. And so how do you protect your kids from that? Well, the same way you would any other predator. And let me just say that there are lots and lots of predators. 
Um, in the LGBT community, I'm, I'm sorry, but that just, that's the way so many young people get pulled in. Let me just say that if you've got a son in gymnastics or performing arts or whatever, if daddy is pouring the three A's into him, it's not going to create a hole for somebody else to fill. And so it's not about the connection with another emotionally sensitive man. It's about, you know, if daddy loves his son well... Um, that that gets the situation off the table. Here's the th- here's something that I, I I heard a number of years ago that I think was so powerful. No matter what kind of boy you have, no matter what kind of dad you have, watch what happens to the little boy when daddy walks in the door from work or comes in from having been gone. If the little boy runs to daddy to grab a hold of him and connect with him. That is the sign of an emotionally healthy son, um, no matter where on the spectrum he is. If he uh, just attaches to dad and loves dad and pursues dad, that's the best possible scenario. Even if they, you've got a, a, a rough and tumble dad and an emotionally sensitive son. So, so when dad goes after the son and just pours into him, for example... One of the things that we told both of our sons the whole time they were growing up was what the father said to the son at his baptism. The father said to Jesus, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. When that happened, Jesus got all three of the A's. Attention. His father showed up at his baptism. Secondly, affection. He gave him verbal affection. You are my beloved son. And third, he gave him affirmation in whom I am well pleased. And, you know, kids are very sensitive to cheesiness. And we, we've been saying that to them their whole lives. We introduce them to people. Hi, I want you to meet my son, Kurt. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Um, not once have our kids ever said, Mom, that is so cheesy. That is so dumb. No, no. Go for it. it it's, it's scriptural. It's very powerful. Um, what if there is a family member, a close relative that um, is gay or lesbian, and how do you explain that to your children? The confusion thing, mm-hmm. again. Yeah. You know, this is not... But in a way that's sensitive to, this is someone you're going to spend holidays with and Christmas with. It's right. not like the neighbor down the street that we see him passing on the sidewalk. We're going <laughs> to... And you know how kids say the darndest thing. Yeah. You can have children or secrets, but not both. Right? Right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> because you can count on it. You know, if, if Aunt Leticia, the lesbian, comes over, you know that your child is going to say, Mommy says you're confused. <laughs> well, Mommy does say that. And Aunt Letitia is probably going to be offended, but the reality is we are commanded to speak the truth in love. Big operative factor is love. Um, you know, and, and that's the thing is people want to, to keep the d- strong delusion going, the fantasy, that I can be whoever I want to be. I can marry, I can love whoever I want, I can marry whoever I want, and it's totally fine. And God's going... Uh, that's not my position. So you know that it's going to cause conflict. It just is. So conflict-free LGBT people in your community, uh, in your uh, family, isn't going to happen. There's going to be conflict. I, I'm sorry. It's just the way it's going to be. It's okay. good to hear. 
Um, all right, you mentioned that the boys on the sensitive side need eye contact with their dads. What do the girls on the tomboy side need? Oh, I'm so glad. I'm sorry I forgot to mention that. Same. Um, all girls are relational, and we're all about face-to-face. Um, and so the girls need daddies to pour the three A's into them. But you know what? Um, girls, in general are far more verbal, and girls are very sensitive to verbal affirmations, and they need it even more than the boys whose love language is words of affirmation. So particularly from dad, little girls need um, to hear how wonderful they are and how much, you know, I'm so glad I'm your dad and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the eye contact, um, really, you're not going to parent girls that much differently, but the... um, if you're gonna, if, if a dad is gonna go outside and throw the ball with his tomboy girl, you know, continue to call her your princess and your beautiful girl, and you know all the things that that support her femininity, while you're also being athletic with her. Mm-hmm. Now, what about in the situation that a dad can connect with the tomboy girl really, really well, but is struggling to connect with his girly girl, and is concerned that his um, that there could be some issues there. Does that make sense? Um, I might need to read it directly most, from here. Well, most dads don't have as much of a problem, you know, connecting with, with a girly girl. I flipped it. So a dad, a dad is supportive of his girls that are girly girl. Okay. But what if he's struggling with his girl that's a tomboy because he has fear and concern that she is that's showing be a lesbian. lesbian traits? Ah, okay. Sorry. Um, it's the same thing as with a boy. Enter her world. What, what is she interested in? Um, she needs to know that daddy is her number one cheerleader. And, you know, I, I love you. I'm support, how can I support you? How can I be there for you? Um, it's honestly, with a, with a tomboy girl, the thing, what, daddy needs to be on his knees praying for protection over her because she is at risk for, um, for predators reaching out to her. I mean, that's where so many young girls are drawn in by coaches and teachers. Um, Daddy needs to be be protecting her and and praying for her and um, pouring into her and spending one-on-one time with her. Okay. Now, what about, this came up on our um, Nest Facebook page not too long ago too. What what are the concerns or what would you say to someone that says, I don't want to let my boy play with Barbie dolls or dolls um, because I'm afraid it'll make him too girly or it'll cause him to be on the girly spectrum instead okay. of on the... First of all, watch how he plays with Barbie. Some of them grab a hold of her legs, turn her down, and, <laughs> you know, Barbie makes a great gun. <laughs> um, actually, Barbie, boys aren't, if they're, unless they're ripping the heads off Barbies, most boys are not real into Barbie because she's so sexual. Um, and boys usually are not thinking in those terms. But, but pay attention to what he's doing. He may be one of these nurturing types that you know is going to be an amazing father one day. And you can affirm him for that without it making him um, you know, gender-challenged. Um, it's really not about the dolls. It's really about the heart. And is he getting the three A's? I just, I can't tell you how important those three A's are. It's just, it goes, it it blasts everything else out of the water. Mm 
Yeah. So it doesn't matter what the activities they choose to play are or what toys they choose to play with as long as they're getting the three A's from really? Mama and Daddy. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is you can cast a vision for one of those little sensitive boys. Someday you are going to be the most amazing husband and father. You know, you're going to be such a great daddy because of how your heart just goes, you know, to, to children. That's what I see when, you know, if you're playing with your sister or whatever, you know, cast a vision for that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then can you speak one more time as to how this is not a civil rights issue? Civil rights issues are about unchangeable characteristics. So, for example, um, gender feminism is about equality, equal pay for equal work of women. You know, we, if we're born women, that's an unchangeable aspect. And, you know, the whole transgender thing, notwithstanding, because you're still not changing the person's gender. That's un, um, ethnicity. Skin color, gender, those are unchangeable characteristics. Sexual orientation and behavior is very changeable. So it's apples and oranges. They don't, they're not in the same category. Okay. Thanks for clarifying that. Um, what about our sympathizer friends that are in the room that um, ask, well, what do you think of that? How are we to respond to our friends who may not have the same um, take on LGBT as we do? I think that we all go back to the beginning, to the Bible. It's like, you know what? What I think doesn't matter anywhere near as much as what God thinks. And what God thinks is that he makes people, male and female. He has an intention for male and female. And and you can even talk about the gender spectrum. But um, think about the verse in Jeremiah, I believe it is, where it says, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not put out. I mean, I think that that is God's heart for those that deal with same-sex attraction, particularly, you know, those like, I don't want this. Um, God is close to the brokenhearted, Scripture says. And so God is so full of compassion for those that find themselves attracted to people that is not God's intention. He's got hope for them. So God's full of compassion, but he also has um, guidelines in place. You know, it's like navigating a mountainous road. He puts guardrails along the mountainous road to keep us from going off the cliff, and those are his, his restrictions in the word. And so that's why all sex needs to be within the marriage bed of a male and female, of a husband and wife. And, um, and we also need to know that God cares deeply for those that are wounded and deceived by this issue. Okay, last question. Um, you spoke very briefly when you gave your little list about solo sex. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, some of the boys of mama's ears went up and they would, were wondering if you would share, how do you talk to your kids about masturbation as they enter puberty? Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. Okay. First of all, one of the most amazing things I ever heard about masturbation is that, um, particularly with younger children, um, what, when you find kids rubbing themselves, they are not necessarily masturbating. Often, when they are feeling anxiety, they're doing the same thing as when you bang your arm and you, and you rub whatever is, is, you know, that's the, the place on your body where you feel 
something not right? When kids are feeling anxiety, they feel it in the groin. And often they will be rubbing themselves simply because they're feeling anxious. It's not even sexual at all. Um, So something to know about that, um, because you may walk into the living room and your kid is lying in front of the TV with his hands down his pants and you're going, stop it! Um, No need to freak. You know, children do that. But it is good to have a conversation you asked about entering puberty, and I'm glad you did. Um, The most important thing that kids need to hear is that it is really, really easy for masturbation to become a habit that they can't get out from. It is incredibly easy. And, the, and you know, things happen in the brain. It becomes a substance abuse issue because your, your body starts craving the endorphins that are released at orgasm. And so you're, you may as well be talking about sexual crack. And so kids don't know that. They don't know what could be going down that, that road. Um, The thing is, too, that what you think about when you orgasm, there's going to be this strong connection in the brain, and it's going to change the way you think about a person or an image, which is why porn is devastating. Um, And so that's that's actually how people kind of make that turn and, and into homosexuality often is they'll, they'll masturbate to same-sex images and thoughts of same-sex people, and, and it just kind of nails it in their brain, and it, it literally makes grooves in the brain. So I think it's really important to talk about the fact that this is, um, it's, it's kind, it can feel like a new toy, um, but it's a dangerous one because of where they could end up down the road. A lot of people end up being addicted to masturbation um, and they never intended to, and it's, it's good for them to know. Okay, so you just said, don't freak out, and then a lot of them end up addicted to it. <laughs> Anybody else concerned? Okay. <laughs> well, I was talking about, I'm thinking about four-year-olds thinking, with their hands down their pants yes. in front of the TV. <laughs> yes. So you're just saying to say to our four to six-year-olds, just to be reminding them to have self-control, that's not a toy, don't play there. <laughs> This is what I'm well, and say. also ask, are you, are you afraid about something? Are you having that uh-oh are feeling inside of you in your heart, okay. in your stomach area? Ask about that yeah. as well. Yeah. Okay. Good deal. Thank you so much. Sue, will you guys give her one more hand? Thank you Thank for you. coming. We enjoyed My it. My pleasure. All right, ladies, you have five minutes to kind of take your last sip of coffee, give somebody a hug, and go grab your kids. <laughs>